from the News Channel 5 Network. This is Inside Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm News Channel 5's political analyst, Pat Nolan. Welcome to Inside Politics. The scripture says that there'll always be wars and rumors of wars. Right now, the United States is involved in two wars, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas that's being down in Gaza. While the U.S. involvement is overwhelmingly non-combat in both these wars, both conflicts now face a critical crossroads about whether and how this country will continue to be involved. Our guest on Inside Politics today to discuss this matter is Vanderbilt Distinguished Professor of History and Political Science, Dr. Thomas Schwartz, who frequently comes on this program to discuss important world issues such as these. Our Schwartz, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me on the program. Let's begin with where we are in the war in Ukraine, which marks its second anniversary um, later this month. Mm -hmm. When Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022, it appeared there would be, they would quickly conquer it. Mm -hmm. But Ukraine has put up a valiant defense, even scoring some victories. But in the past year, a counteroffensive by Ukraine has not achieved any real breakthroughs. So is this war continuing to be in sort of a stalemate, despite the U.S. providing billions in aid, equipment, and training? Um, I'm afraid so. And uh, the stalemate is an uneven one because you will have things, um, particularly the Ukrainians have made some successes in the uh, Black Sea with hitting some of the Russian ships there. They've had some successes in hitting behind Russian lines. But at the same time, the Russians have, con have continued to advance and, for example, are very close to taking the city of Adnitka in the, uh, in the Luhansk uh, Obask. And so it is, uh, it is an ongoing, it, it has almost overtones of World War I in terms of a, a sort of stale uh, front line with lots of losses and um, not much movement. But the feeling is perhaps that Russia is slowly gaining an upper hand. I mean, they've... Uh, mm -hmm. They've, they've lost some, some ground that they had taken early in the war. Uh, they have had to forcibly draft men as a service to go down there. They've been using military tactics that have seen much heavier losses than most people thought. Mm -hmm. But they're, such, they're so much larger, they have so many more resources to draw on. The war might be, if it's leaning either way, it might lean more towards the Russians right this second. It may indeed lean more toward the Russians. The Russians are also playing the long game. Um, they, they dug in very uh, deeply into their defense um, uh, of the two areas in the uh, eastern part of Ukraine that they were defending. And so when the Ukrainians um, launched their offensive, they didn't gain much. Uh, both sides have been running out of ammunition. The Russians are using antique tanks that maybe they're trying to update to use it. Um, but now the Ukrainians have fired their top generals. Is, is that going to decide of different tactics, or is this just rearranging the deck chairs on what's a stall ship? Well, uh, it's hard to see. I mean, uh, it, uh, President Zelensky uh, did, was having a number of disputes with uh, the Commander General Zelensky, Zelensky and um, he replaced him with General Sirsky, who he's closer to and who had been um, an important general in the Kharkiv, uh, in the taking of Kharkiv. There is a thought that there could be a sort of rethinking of Ukrainian strategy. Uh, Sirsky may be closer to the Americans on uh, some of the issues of, of how to proceed with the war, but uh, it is, it's still, we'll have to wait and see whether this is really gonna shake up things. President Biden wants another large multi billion dollar package of aid to Ukraine. Um, Republicans in the House and many in the Senate, some in the Senate, seem to be opposing this. But is there opposition about Ukraine or is it about Donald Trump? Well, Donald Trump hasn't been outspoken on this issue in the way. He did, he did try to defeat the compromise border bill, but that was because of the border provisions, not because of the Ukraine aid, at least as he presented it. So I don't think it's, it's solely about Trump. 
Uh, Trump, uh, Trump could sink the bill, I think, if he came out against aid to Ukraine. He hasn't done that. And so I'm hoping that in that sense, there might still be a large number of Republicans willing to vote for the bill when it comes to the House. So the Biden administration made a major blunder because they're the ones that put both the aid to Ukraine and the aid to Israel into this bill. And then the Republicans said, no, give us this border package. And they did. And then... Mm. They didn't like the border package. Right. They made a mistake. Would they have been better off in the beginning to put this as separate pieces? It's hard to say because uh, I think they were scared that the opposition to the aid to Ukraine was building, and so they were binding it with the Israel uh, because Israel uh, aid to Israel is more popular. And then the Republicans came up and said, well, we want also a connection to the border. And uh, there was a bipartisan effort that Senator Langford led in the Senate to get a bill. But it didn't satisfy Trump and his uh, his supporters, and and the result was this defeat of the bill this week. The the, inter the interesting situation that happened it appears that uh, once Trump said he was opposed to that, all support for the Republican Party pretty much vanished. Mm -hmm. Is this yet another sign that the Republican Party is now the party of Donald Trump? Well, I think it's pretty clear that Trump is the uh, overwhelming favorite to be the nominee, and even Mitch McConnell, who I think uh, you know has a very uh, dif difficult relationship with Trump, even he had to concede on that the border compromise was not going to get through the Senate. So, is it is it the Trump party? Pretty much so. There are some uh, outliers there, Republicans willing to take a stand, but not not many. Uh, so, in this case, it appears. The Republicans thought after wanting to have a, a border package that, well, maybe we're better off to run that run this year as, as that is an, as an active issue rather than something to say, well, Congress has done something about it. Let's see if that works first. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, the, the, they've seen the, the polling. The polling shows overwhelmingly the base of the Republican Party uh, lists immigration by a, huge, by, by a fairly large margin as their number one issue. So in that sense, uh, Donald Trump is once again sort of uh, 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 focusing on his base as he has in the primary campaign already. As a part of the border issues, House Republicans made a major effort this week to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, but they couldn't get enough votes. I think they fell one vote short. Mm -hmm. uh, many people that were in opposition to it felt there just weren't was any evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors, which is the definition of why you would impeach any kind of elected official. But why did the leadership of the Republicans move ahead in the House when they weren't real sure they had the votes in the first place? Uh, clearly a, 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 a real tactical error on the, House, on the part of Speaker Johnson. I mean, this was, this was an embarrassment to him not to have had things ironed out and nailed down. In that sense, I think, the other thing is, is that I think at least a few of the Republicans did realize this was show, that Mayorkas is carrying out Biden's policy and impeaching him is, is, is in a way simply uh, unnecessary in that. Uh, the Senate, there was absolutely no chance that the Senate would convict him. The House Republicans have also been looking at impeaching President Biden. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of people feel like there's really no evidence about that, but uh, do you think the Republicans now will rethink that effort since they're having trouble? Now they're going to try to apparently redo the Reorcus uh, impeachment vote, but aren't they barking up the wrong tree on this already fire aim I think I think uh, that there are at least it seems to be there's a sufficient number of Republicans who just don't think this impeachment this this constant use of the impeachment tool is really worth it and they're there I think uh, there's enough of them that it's going to make it difficult for Johnson to get it through Dr. Thomas Schwartz is our guest he's a Vanderbilt history and political science professor we're talking about what's been going on this week with Ukraine been going on with Israel we'll talk about more of that in the second block and just what's been good another crazy chaotic week in Washington. Back to continue our conversation after this break.
Welcome back to Inside Politics. Our guest today is Dr. Thomas Swartz, a history and political science professor at Vanderbilt University. Uh, Dr. Swartz, uh, there was a successful effort by the leadership of the Democrats on Thursday in the Senate to salvage the Ukraine and aid for Israel as well. The Senate voted 67 to 32 to advance a legislative vehicle that uh, appears to carry funding not just for for those countries, but also for India Pacific security, also for Taiwan, uh, humanitarian assistance for civilians around the world. Now, the, this got bipartisan support. I mean, it got 67 votes. That's a pretty strong vote in the Senate when you, and they had to get over filibuster, which is what it did. Um, is is this, is he gonna be able to hold that? Because a lot of the people, are, there's several more votes the Senate has to take before this gets final approval of that body. And there's a lot of talk from some Republican senators to say we're gonna do everything we can to stall this, but. 67 votes is a lot to overcome. It is, and it does show that there's still a pretty substantial margin uh, within the Senate on both political parties to try and fulfill American commitments, and that, that I think is heartening. There's much more opposition in the House uh, uh, about Ukraine in particular. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Johnson said the original bill that had the border security provisions in it, which were basically uh, taken out and defeated before, um, he said before those were dead on arrival. Is he going to have to change his mind about that? And if he does, is he putting his job in jeopardy? Because there are some people in his caucus that may try to try to oust him and make him uh, second speaker to be cashiered within this year's period. Yes, he seems to be in a, a, a difficult position, but I think in the House, support for Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan is much greater than would be for the border situation. There'd be more, more of an opportunity. But there is a hard-line group who might uh, decide that this is the uh, one issue, of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and they're going to try to take down Johnson on it. Oh, what kind of precarious position as, as Ukraine waits sort of in this limbo? Yes, mm -hmm. it looks like it's going to get through the Senate, but we still don't know about the House. What, what are they going to do in the meantime, and how long can they hold out without getting this aid? This is a lot of money, and they probably need it like yesterday. Well, there are some unfortunate uh, uh, estimates now that they could only hold out another month or so, um, at least basically. This doesn't mean there'll be an immediate collapse, but it, it is. They are in a precarious situation. They are very short of soldiers. They're short of equipment. They're short of everything, and uh, we're taking a real chance and not further furthering this aid to Ukraine. We've talked a lot when you come on the show several times about uh, President Putin and Russia using a long-term strategy, the long-game strategy. This may be the end of the long-game strategy because this may be the, the reason why Russia conquers Ukraine. Absolutely, no, and I think his, you know, uh, Putin's uh, decision, for example, to grant an interview to Tucker Carlson was an attempt to interfere with the political process and to try and convince enough Americans that uh, he's interested in peace and negotiation. And said in that interview that he wants the United States to be a part of the peace treaty, if there is one that basically says, yes, Russia has a right to conquer that country. Yeah. I suspect he might get some negotiations, but I can't ever imagine an American president saying, oh yeah, we'll sign off that you can take I can't else. imagine it either. I, I think I think the one thing that might actually happen out of the interview might be a backlash and might be a, a recognition from some Republicans that we don't want to go along with Putin on this, that Putin is trying to play with our politics again. The European Union has already given a lot of aid. Uh, they've approved an additional, I think, $50 billion, billion. Dollars over the next five years. Uh, 
How much help is that to Ukraine? How much of that is military aid? How much of it is other kind of aid? Well, it's not really military aid. It's going to take care of the Ukrainian budget. It can't be used, for example, as salaries for soldiers so that Ukraine still has to make important decisions about how many more men they're going to mobilize in the next couple of years. What the European aid does, though, do is it throws up a, a, a challenge to the United States. We, you know, even Donald Trump, who, who of course, uh, has been critical, has, has constantly said, well, we want to see the Europeans doing more. Well, the Europeans are doing more, so now it's up to the United States to come through. The EU aid also uh, was held up for some weeks during opposition by Hungary mm -hmm. and its authoritarian leader, uh, Viktor Orban. He's often considered the Donald Trump of Europe. How did the EU overcome his opposition and get this uh, bill, this aid package approved? It's not actually the interesting thing is it's not completely clear what they gave him. He wanted many more concessions than he seems to have gotten. Um, it might be the case that they have uh, indicated that they're going to ease off on some of their own restrictions on Hungary because they've been upset with Hungary and some of the uh, autocratic moves he's made. But it's actually not clear from the uh, initial readings that they got or that he got much in terms of concessions in terms of being a historian have you ever seen a, a situation in American history where US support for an ally was cut off in the middle of a conflict well a lot of Americans won't agree with me on this but we did this to South Vietnam in 1975 um, we essentially after the North Vietnamese launched their offensive we essentially said no more now that was of course at the end of a long period of time but South Vietnam was an ally and we had promised them aid and we just said forget about it we've done our bit and, and we're gonna go home so but we have done it but given the high-profile nature of this right mm -hmm. now wouldn't this be like back in World War II when America was was being called the arsenal for democracy and suddenly Congress voted to get rid of Lynn Lease? It would be a bit, it would be closer to that because there are no Americans involved in combat, but there were no Americans involved in combat in 1974 and 5 when, when South Vietnam fell either. If Congress decides to walk away from Ukraine, um, or for that matter change its, its support for Israel, what impact might that have on other allies in Europe and around the world about the reliability of our nation as an ally? I, I think it have a devastating effect. I think it would signal to the rest of the world the United States has gone home. Uh, you've got to fare for yourself. Um, and I think that could lead to a lot of global disorder and chaos. Uh, the aid to Israel does remain somewhat in question. Um, that nation has been the recipient of more foreign aid mm. th than any other country in the world from the United States. But this ongoing war in Gaza seems to be changing our relationship, or at least putting it under a lot of stress. We've always been rock solid in favor of Israel, but now um, that may not be quite the case, and that would be a profound change in American uh, policy. Oh yeah, I I think uh, I think part of it depends on how Israel conducts the the final offenses in Gaza. Um, if it could end the war more quickly or um, finally defeat Hamas or at least agree to some sort of ceasefire, I don't think, I, I really think the basis of the U.S.-Israeli relationship is stronger. Um, and even though there is political contest here now much greater than in the past, I still think it will survive. Dr. Thomas Schwartz is our guest. He's a history and political science professor at Vanderbilt University. We've been talking about what's going on with aid to Iraq, I mean, excuse me, aid to uh, uh, Ukraine, aid to Israel and just another crazy week in Washington. Back to continue the conversation on the other side of these messages. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Our guest today, Dr. Thomas Swartz, a history and political science professor at Vanderbilt. Dr. Swartz, uh, there have been renewed efforts that have appeared this week to try to have a new ceasefire and exchange of hostages and prisoners in the war in Gaza. 
but the, all the optimism seemed to go away because Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister in um, Israel, said, no, we're not stopping this war at all until we totally annihilate and get rid of Hamas. But nobody seems to think that's possible. Why, well, is it, why is he viewing that? I don't, think, I don't know that I'd agree completely with you on that. I think Hamas has been damaged by this, and I think Netanyahu... But he said eradicate. He said eradicate. I mean, Netanyahu is pushing uh, uh, even further than some would argue, but they have done significant damage to Hamas, and, and uh, Hamas itself also didn't particularly... Some of the conditions that they uh, indicated that they wanted to maintain were unacceptable to the Israelis and were, as President Biden said, over the top. Of course, he's also criticized Israel for its new campaign is over the top. But it's not completely clear to me that we're willing yet to uh, 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 rein in the Israelis, that they have made some progress in diminishing the number of attacks Hamas has been able to make. Uh, at this particular point, um, Netanyahu, before he w even this war started out with the invasion uh, in, uh, in, in Gaza, um, he had bad job performance numbers. Mm -hmm. There was no, there has not apparently been any kind of major rally around the flag effect for it to, to help him with that mm -hmm. after the war started. Is he trying to continue to be hardline on this because he, he knows once this war is over, the chances of him losing power are very high? That is a suspicion that many of his opponents have, that he is, is, is doing this. But on the other hand, um, my own sources and, and people I've talked to, the Israeli opinion is still very strong toward finishing the job and, and diminishing Hamas. And so even though Netanyahu is not popular, and if there were once some sort of ceasefire or st uh, stability happens, he's probably going to lose in the election, um, I think there's still a determination to end the threat posed by Hamas. Uh, a major question that we get, how do we get, if we ever get to a ceasefire from there and mm -hmm. to a peace settlement, is who's going to run Gaza after this war ends? I mean, the U.S. continues to push this two-state solution, which mm -hmm. still seems to not have a whole lot of support, but whether it's two-state or whatever, somebody's got to run Gaza. How's right. that going to work? That's, that's a, a big question, and I think Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has been in the Middle East trying to work with the Saudis and Egyptians and other Arab, uh, friendly Arab states to figure out some sort of a transitional role in Gaza. And I think that's probably where there's going to be some conflict, again, with Israel over exactly who should be in the occupying force. There continues to be a growing fear that this war could expand to other parts of the Mideast. Mm -hmm. We've had these, we've had uh, things coming from Yemen to strike it at, at the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, bases and things that are over elsewhere in the south, in the uh, in that area, in that part of the world. This week, the U.S. also managed to kill uh, one of the top people that basically was the mastermind of a, of a strike on a on, on one of the American bases in mm -hmm. Jordan, where three three American servicemen were killed. Um, are we on the edge? Maybe the one more either miscalculation or calculation. Why does this war even not, not only there, but perhaps in um, in, in in Jordan, where mm -hmm. where Hezbollah is also very active? Well, keep in mind this is not. You, you've mentioned a number of the specifics, but you've also left off the big problem, which is Iran. Iran is guiding this. Iran is is directing, and it has been very important. Israel has discovered documents showing their tight ties to Hamas. They 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 directed the uh, mission against the American troops in Jordan. Iran, it, this is where it gets much more interesting. We are in a proxy war with Iran. We're both reluctant, though, to turn it into a real war. And the question is, will Iran push it to a point where America has to make a decision on whether it's going to back off or it's going to actually go into a direct confrontation with Iran? 
That sounds pretty ominous. I mean, yeah. yes. I, I don't know that I've ever remember a proxy war since perhaps maybe the Barbary pirates <laughs> in the, when, when the Marines first mm -hmm. went over into, into, into that part of northern Africa. Mm -hmm. No, but I think we are fighting, uh, we are basically fighting a series of Iranian proxies. Hezbollah, the Houthis, uh, Hamas are all involved in this and that they're, um, this is the this challenge for the United States. We had hoped, I think the Obama and Biden administrations had both hoped that they could appease Iran, um, offer it uh, opportunities, uh, the nuclear agreement, the rest. Um, but I think what they're being frustrated by is Iran has not been uh, appeasable. Uh, if the U.S. has a change in presidential leadership mm -hmm. with the election in November, are we likely to continue to see foreign policy chaos and uncertainty in 2025? Donald Trump hasn't talked a lot about some of these issues, mm -hmm. but he has been known when he was president before that he did things differently. Yeah. No, I think, I think if we have a change in administration, we used to have this notion that foreign policy cut across the, uh, political lines. We don't anymore. Um, it's pretty clear there'll be a, 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 a strong change in tone if Donald Trump comes in. Uh, Europe is particularly worried. Other countries will be as well. It's going to be a real um, uh, challenge if there is a change. Is there a, a, a time you can think back in American history where things have been as uncertain and not just about foreign aid, but about a lot of things that were going on in terms of the relationships of nations? Absolutely. No, we've had other times in our history. I mean, I think of 1941, I think of 1969, I think of 1979 with the uh, Iranian hostage crisis. We've had a lot of these. Um, we've gotten through it. Dr. Schwartz, thank you so much for coming on the show. I suspect we'll have you back again because this is probably far from over. Yeah. And thank you for joining us on Inside Politics this week. If you can't catch the program on the air, on the cable, or online, online every week, keep up with us now by listening to our new Inside Politics podcast. It's now available on Spotify, iHeart, and Apple Podcasts. Some episodes have already been published and posted. Others will be posted at least one every week. Enjoy the rest of your Super Bowl weekend here on News Channel 5, and goodbye.